Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Hub, the podcast that aims to provide you with a dose of midweek motivation to finish your week off strong. We're your host, Christopher Morgan. Feel free to call me Chris. And Corey McGowan. And this is episode number 19, The Pillars of Discipline, Mind, Body, and Spirit. Enjoy. In this episode, we have the opportunity to speak with Darren Mark, Executive Director at Rhino Equity Group. Darren is no stranger to hard work or the success that comes with it and believes that great successes are typically associated with great risk. Earlier this year, Darren had the privilege of being recognized as one of Canada's top 100 professionals. All you have to do is tune into this conversation to find out why. Enjoy. Okay, perfect. So, uh, hello, everybody. I'm really excited to uh, be having this conversation. We have an, another guest here as well, too. We have uh, Corey McGowan. Corey, say hi to everybody. Yep, Corey is the newest and truest and bluest. I don't know what that means, but he's uh, the other co-host. So you guys are going to get to know him extremely well uh, going forward. You're going to hear a lot more of him. But um, today, him and I are going to be having a conversation with uh, Darren Mark. Uh, Darren is currently the executive director at uh, the Rhino Equity Group and holds a ton of other titles. But as opposed to me trying to get into it and really steal his thunder, uh, Darren, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. If you could please go ahead and do that. Sure. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Darren Mark, and I basically just have fun with my friends, Um, whether it's in business or music or sports or whatever it is. I just like like getting out there and having fun. But uh, to get more specific on Rhino Equity, we basically buy healthy companies, mainly in the manufacturing sector. And um, we are operators, so we try to run them as best we can, keep the legacy of these good companies going, keep them alive and well in uh, Canada. And we're looking at buying in the States as well. And uh, just buy and hold, keep them running, keep them running well, make people happy. Yeah, so um, there's a there's a really great story around this, and I'm fortunate enough to know, I think, the majority of the people involved in the Rhino Equity Group, but do you want to take us down a little trip to memory lane and maybe let us know how you came about even establishing the Rhino Equity Group? Yeah, uh, well, what it starts with is basically an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say, and um, trying to get together with people that you know, you can trust that um, will show up and are deliberate and, uh, you know, bring energy to the table. And I had tried several different combinations with different friends before Um, we, we actually coalesced to make Rhino, um, but they kind of fell apart, right? People would say they would do something and then didn't show up. Let's have a Sunday call or let's spend eight hours working on a spreadsheet and they just don't show up or didn't phone you back, whatever it is. So, Everyone likes to have an idea of being an entrepreneur, but at the end of the day, it's the follow through and the execution as, you know, cliche as it sounds to say that, but you just got to put in the time. So uh, the the friends that uh, I started it with, we basically, inc- including one of those, my brother, actually, we started meeting every Sunday for about eight hours a day. Sunday after Sunday and sometimes Saturdays as well and then had homework this is on top of our regular nine to five jobs which were often more demanding than just nine to five and um, we'd have homework and then meet again and do all these kinds of um, spreadsheets and business cases and that kind of stuff to try to figure out what kind of company we wanted to start Um, and then as time went on, we realized that maybe we don't want to start our own company. Maybe we want to buy an existing company because the risk is less and we're operators. I, I had done like plant turnarounds, that kind of stuff. Um, other business partners had done more like sales and marketing or um, finance, that kind of thing. So when we decided we want to operate a company instead of starting a brand new one, then we just started getting out into uh, the ether, out into the industry and literally within the first year or two uh, we had walked through and met owners of hundreds of companies 250 to 300 different manufacturing companies because that's kind of where our expertise is and honed it to the point where we uh we could figure out which industries we really liked where we thought there was the least amount of risk to start out in um so the partners 
to go back to the original question, the partners, um, you know, one was my brother, obviously, or is my brother. Um, and then we got a couple other sales and marketing kind of guys. And then we have uh, the finance guy. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, it's so interesting because I'm, I'm happy that you were telling everybody about the trial and error, right? Because I think it's, it's one of those things and you hear both sides of the story. There are many people that'll tell you never go into business with your friends or family. Um, and then there are people that are saying like, Hey, do it because it works now. Clearly, I mean, you dipped on both sides. You work with your brother and some of your closest friends and it worked out beautifully, but it took you a while to get there. So how did you know that this last group of people in which you have this company running, um, how did you know that those guys were the one? Well, at the beginning we would meet, as I said, every Sunday. And if you don't show up, that's, rule number one, right? <laughs> if you don't show up to play the game, then you're not going to be on the field. So like that's rule number one. Number two is that we built energy. And if anybody else is saying like, I'm thinking of partnering with this person or that person, then all I ask them is, do they do what they say they're going to do? So that's mm -hmm. trust. Yeah. And that goes for any relationship you're in your entire life is trust, yeah. right? And number two is, does it build energy every time that you meet? Because You'll meet with some people sometimes and that's like you leave and you're like, eh, well, that was okay. I don't feel so, so inspired and maybe it's me. I don't know, but it's maybe it's just the relationship. <laughs> it's just like, you know, meeting a significant other or what have you. But um, we just were so pumped up and maybe we were full of like uh, um, kind of naivety at the time of like what we thought we'd be able to accomplish. But hey, that goes a long way too sometimes, right? It's just like this hope. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I would say to, to get back to that, it's like a lot of people want to give her, they want to meet with like, yeah, their friends or whatever and try to build something, but it's really the time we did. We met for almost a year and a half before we decided that like really found upon what we wanted to do. And, and if you picture that meeting 50, 60, 70 times, 70 Sundays, in order to get to where you want to go. That's a lot of hours, you know, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of hours. So, yeah, I love, um, I love the way that you recap some of that because I think it's important um, to really hone in and establish the power of any relationship that you have on the last episode. I, I spent the entire episode talking about, you know, capacity. And I think when you're trying to embark on something new, the people that you work with play a big part in like your mental and emotional capacity to be able to go and get things done. You know, and this podcast is about like, you know, motivation, inspiration, like go get it, be successful. Um, but for that, you do need you do need the energy to keep on going. And, you know, I think it's important to not, um, I wouldn't say like inhumanely put people in these two categories, but the reality is there are two categories. There's people that give you energy and then some people actually take it away, unfortunately, right? And I think there's always a balance, especially when you're talking about your friends and family. But when you start taking that relationship into business, that unit has to, everybody has to be feeding everybody. And there has to be that, that positive cycle of continuous energy or things fall off really quickly. Right? They can, yeah. And you, I think all of the meetings that we had and, and the friendships that existed. So one guy, I'm going to, I'm going to get into a little bit more nuance here. One sure. guy I had never met before and he was introduced by one of my partners. So originally there were actually three of us, including my brother. We were introduced to a fourth guy. And then the fifth guy came in because he was a CFO at the companies that I was, I had my day job in. And when he mm -hmm. saw what we were doing, I really respected him when uh, I saw what he saw, what we were doing. He was like, well, I'll join you guys. So, that was like kind of how it ballooned out was like, okay, who do we want on this vessel with us? Who do we want on this ship? Because it's like a tight crew and then we're going to set sail kind of thing. Um, the other thing that I will say is that we are, we were five, we're four now. So we did gotcha. go through a process um, with one partner that was pretty difficult. And I'm talking like, it, it was causing so many rifts in, in all of the partnership and all that kind of stuff that mm. we, we came to an eventual conclusion that he would be better as a silent partner. And that was one of the most difficult days we've ever had. And we're still extremely good friends with this guy and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, you're talking like a couple of us were in tears 
upon making this kind of decision because it does get tough. You know, you want to see everybody succeed. You want to see everybody going in the same direction, no matter what. And uh, we pushed it as far as we could, I think. Um, but it just was better for everybody to kind of move different directions. So it can happen. It can happen. It doesn't always work out right. Um, my brother and I, I think I felt really comfortable with that from the onset because when we talk about family members, because he and I, you know, always talked about business. We tended to be the kind of brothers that if we were like idle minds is the devil's advocate or whatever they call it. Right. So if we were not doing something, we were at each other, but if we had like a common goal of building something, then we were really good together. So we actually bought our first uh, investment property when like in 2012 or something like that, when I was in my mid twenties and, and then we were like, Oh, we're going to buy more investment properties and all that. But then we started meeting on this and we're like, well, let's buy companies cause that's way more fun. Right. So that's part of how it kind of got to where it is. Well, it's, it's a really good point that you bring up there, Darren. It, it, it uh, reminds me of the, if you don't do the push-ups, you don't gain the muscle. And, uh, you know, you're putting in the work and this continued grind. And when, when, I, when I think about, like, your, your company moving forward, you're, you're, you're basically training each other and pushing each other. And, and how is that translating to, you know, the, the workforce? Like, you've got your, your core. How is that translating to, to everyone else that, that you're impacting? I think um, <laughs> I'll quote I'll quote the wife of one of my employees because uh, there's this guy that I was working with in a plant and um, she said to him and he he brought it back to me at one point in time it looks like he knows his stuff and you better keep up right so <laughs> and and when I ask my like even our our senior directors. Um, and so not executive directors, not the owners, but like our, our senior directors across the company, like, why do you like working with us over a beer, right? Just nonchalant. They're like, you guys know your stuff and you're not afraid to go ahead and, and execute on what you know. We move really, really quickly and we work really, really hard because we enjoy uh, getting success. And I know that's such a, you know, nebulous kind of word, but like we enjoy getting results. Let's put it that way. We set you know, a target on something we're like, we want to go for that. So we kind of crush it in any way we can. And, and it takes into intelligence and risk, um, uh, an ability to take on risk at the same time. Like it's not just hard work. You also got to be able to say, well, this is a decision I'm going to make that has like a 10% probability of success. But if I do all these other things, maybe I can switch that to more like an 80 or 90% probability of success right so we we're that kind of thing where it's like you got to hit that pail with a bullet well fine i'm going to get like 10 guns and aim it at that pail and maybe seven of them won't hit but the three will for sure and we're going to get to the next point right so um i think an overkill method when it is a really clutch situation has helped us as we say squeeze through the keyhole in a lot of different situations and we really have um, you know, done some deals and, and gotten through um, some tight situation that I, I really don't know any other organization that has done it like that before. And I don't say that lightly. It would take getting into the, the great details to talk about that, but uh, it, it's pretty, pretty incredible what we've been able to accomplish so far. Well, I think it's, it's just um, a testament to all of you that you've been able to really just get a lot of positive momentum very early on and continue it. And, um, you know, like you were saying, still have, even for the one partner that is now a silent partner, still maintain those really strong relationships. I think it says something about, um, you know, just the, the collective mindset behind what it is that, uh, that everybody's doing here. Yeah. You know what? Like when you go out and you do business, we're lucky enough that, you know, our survival is not dependent on this activity, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like if we, if we, um, I don't know, if we lost our companies and all that stuff that we would die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so gotcha. we don't treat it like that. So it's like um, our friendships are definitely number one. But mm -hmm. in order to accomplish what we want to do in our in our um, our, our goals within business, I am I am open to sacrificing my um, the right guy for the role. Let's say CEO of one of our companies. If I'm proving that I'm not good enough to do that, then I'm going to get kicked out of that role. 
you know, if my brother is not accomplishing on uh, the deal flow, he's going to get kicked out of that role. And so that's just a known thing. And that's something that translates down um, as well into our mentality with our employees. It's very, you know, it's a pretty good thing to be able to say, you know, everybody's got to really perform in their roles because nobody is above the company at the end of the day. The company's got to survive so that everybody else can survive. Even if I'm not doing my job right, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> not to get threatening or anything like that, but that's just like a, <laughs> just a grounded conversation that we have, right? Yeah, no, I think there's something to be said for some um, healthy accountability. Um, but now that we're on it, because you started to talk about some of these other roles. So now I want to make sure that I have all of them. So obviously you're uh, one of the ex executive directors at uh, the Rhino Equity Group. Um, you are also the CEO of Euroline Windows. CEO of Euroline Windows. So that's the third company that we bought. It's out in BC, uh, yeah. 100 employees out there, and we're, we're building it up. Um, so... As the acquisition of the third company, I'll tell you a little hop, skip, skip and jump kind of story. Basically, our first acquisition, I was the president of Marbell Industries, uh, 20, 20 employees, 20,000 square feet. Um, and that's when only a couple of us had jumped out of our day jobs. So we, we were like, okay, here I go into my mom's basement to make this all happen, right? And I'm like yeah. in my early 30s, right, making a six-figure salary, I, I say bye-bye to that. I take all my money and I, all my money, I didn't have a lot at the time, but still, we put it in, we acquired this company with our combined money, and I'm the president at this company, right? The next company we bought, um, much bigger, 20 times the size, right? So 150 employees, 60,000 square feet. Um, I became the COO of those two companies, Chief Operations Officer, and one of my other buddies who jumped out of his day job became the CEO of that company. Gotcha. So then when we acquired the third company, it was like, well, who's going to run that? Really myself and Anu, um, who's that other guy running um, the second company, we're the two uh, best shoe-ins for president or CEO because we have so much operational experience. Mm -hmm. So like, and we have the skill set for that. So then it was like, okay, I didn't do the second one. Now I'm going to do the third one. And there was another nuance to that. It was out in BC, right? So I was the only one without a kid at the time <laughs> um, that was like, had the operational expertise. So it's like, Darren, you're going out there. I'm like, oh God, here we go. So 2019, if you guys want to talk about sacrifice, um, yeah, I spent 100 days in Delta and Surrey, British Columbia in 2019. And so that crazy. was... That was the year I got married as well. So, um, and the year that my wife got pregnant and all this kind of stuff. So you can imagine the kind of pressures <laughs> we were going through there. So nuts. And I definitely want to come back and unpack some of those things. Um, but I think looking at the list of the things that you have done and the things that you're currently doing, I think I can't, in my mind, and I know we, we had a, kind of like a lead up discussion to this call as well, but... I was just trying to picture in my mind how you would go about getting all of this stuff done. Because again, like I was saying in the last episode, we spent the entire thing just talking about capacity. I can't really drum up in my imagination how you go about getting all this stuff done without a ton of discipline. So can you tell us a little bit kind of like about your routine? Like what do you do personally that allows you to take on all of this responsibility in a way that doesn't absolutely crush you? Yeah, okay. So I would start out by saying that um, you don't walk into three roles like that. And I, I don't say like, I don't put on like LinkedIn or something like that, that I'm COO, CEO, and an executive director, just because I want to have a bunch of titles behind my name. Like I, those are actual titles that I play roles in, you know, not every day am I all three or something like that, but I'm in and out of those roles on a weekly basis. Um, and you don't get into those roles and play those roles without having just like the right amount of experience to get to that level. You can't just one day just be like, Hey, I've got a company and now I'm CEO, COO. And it like, it's like saying I'm going to sit down and play like Paganini's variations by Rachmaninoff on the piano when I just took a couple lessons or something. And I'm not saying that like uh, there's a lot of guys that are very experienced and women that are very experienced and very good at their roles. Just like I am a lot of them better than me. So I'm not saying that it's unattainable. 
I'm just saying that you can't just walk into these roles and, and, and give yourself these titles in my mind, um, in my humble opinion. Um, discipline. I mean, we've talked about this, Chris, right? Like for me, it starts out with mind, body, spirit kind of stuff, right? Like I, I grew up always running. My, my dad was a runner. My brother and sister were runners. And running is just the most um, innate, like kind of natural, visceral um, experience that I think humans can have with their body. It's just like when you're a kid, you want to get in the backyard and you just run, right? And that can turn into, as Bill Bowerman, who trained Prefontaine, started Nike and all that kind of stuff, used to say, if you can find a peace in a way to live with running, you can find a peace in a way to live with yourself, right? Because every time you're out there, you're just battling yourself or meditating with yourself or whatever it is, and you, you basically get a flow with your body, right? And what that does is there's all these different levels to it, but from a gut perspective, from like an endorphin perspective, from um, a metabolism perspective, that gives you good energy, right? So, you know, that's that to be exercise, sleep, and, and eating right are like so, so key, right? And then as all three of us are gentlemen here, um, another big factor to me as we move from like the physical to let's say emotional, is um, being able to digest heavy emotions. Um, so, you know, obviously there's this whole stigma about, uh, uh, about men not talking about their emotions and all this kind of thing. To me, that's a must. And when we sit down, me and my uh, partners sit down for our vision meetings, the very first question that we ask each other, and actually it's timely because Australia has a thing about this, is how are you feeling, right? We sit down, we say, how are you feeling? And it's not like, well, I was thinking about this sales pitch and I was thinking about this and that. No, it's like, I'm, uh, I'm feeling very uh, nervous and fearful and about this and that. Like, you got to talk about your feelings. I am afraid or I am not. I think I'm this way or that way. So opening up, and I feel like a lot of meetings should really start that way because there's so many unsaid things before people actually get into what, you know, the business side of stuff. But with your business partners, there can be no, like, as far as I'm concerned, when you're going this deep with your business partners, there can be no barriers. You've got to, like, talk, be able to talk about everything. So um, the emotional part, also, you know, I lost my dad uh, to uh, multiple myeloma, type of bone marrow cancer when I was 21 years old. And um, that taught me to deal with heavy, heavy emotions because it was a four-year, like, battle slugging it out where this six foot three guy ended up like 200 pounds ended up like five foot 10 like 120 pounds right so that going through all of that um and the the recovery of that grieving all of that taught me i think um you know effective ways of dealing with emotions i also went through the ineffective ways <laughs> like drinking a lot and all that kind of stuff uh, but came out the other side and uh, and was able to, you know, I think have a really healthy way of looking at all of that stuff. So it puts it in perspective. Then beyond that, so we're talking physical through the emotional. Um, and I think that the physical also helps your brain and intellect and all that stuff. But then you get into the spiritual stuff, which, um, you know, my dad was a huge influencer of um, myself and my brother and sister about meditation as a child and, and reading about all different types of philosophies and beliefs, religions, whatever it is, whether it's Buddhism, Shintoism, you know, um, Hinduism, Vedic, like Christian, whatever it is, um, reading through all that stuff and having philosophy nights so that we could kind of create our own vessel to go down the river of life in, right? And so I used to meditate ferociously I would say when I was a kid I used to meditate for hours at a time and when I was a teenager I used to meditate and I think one of the biggest things that taught me um, was not to fear things because fear just is a perspective and so when I see things the the fear is usually I think my friends would say not there's not a lot of fear for me in most situations I just kind of see things for as they are um, in a fairly grounded perspective. And I'm like, no, I think we can do that. 
right? Where other people are like, no, 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 you'll never do that. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. So <laughs> everything's just, you're just creating a perception of fear, but that has no real place here. We can maximize the probabilities and get what we want out of this, right? Hmm. No, all of that is um, <clears throat> like truly fantastic. And, you know, I think working backwards from the fear comment, I want to go back and just, um, you know, address something that you talked about in terms of, you know, just dealing and coping with some of the emotional things that we know are out there. You know, conventional business wisdom is one of, oh, leave your emotions at the door. And it's like, you know, you can't do that. Like, we're not machines. Everybody knows that we're human, especially this year. Probably I would be surprised to find someone that wouldn't describe 2020 as probably the most emotionally taxing year of their lives, you know, knowing that that exists, knowing that that's just kind of like permeating everybody's spirit. Why not just put it out on the table and, and ask the question? How you doing? How, are, are you okay? Because I think it's, you know, through trying to avoid that and trying to skip that step where things fall apart and you can't redefine your relationship with fear if you haven't rectified the emotions that are already kind of like bubbling up within you, right? So I get it when you're like, hey, I'm not so afraid. Well, yeah, you, you took the right steps. Like you probably talked about the things that you were afraid of. You were able to kind of like reframe that. And now you're in a place where you could be more fearless, which I think is... It's a great point. Yeah, I, I talk about this quite a bit. Well, I have been talking about this quite a bit recently with my cousin. He's going through a separation. It's if if you're able to grieve uh, through traumatic experiences that you have, then you are able to become more buoyant. Essentially, it's if you're walking around with wounds that are getting you know infected and like gangrene, and you're like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, and you're like lurching along, and you're like got this, you got this limp that then turns into a back pain that then turns into an aneurysm or whatever. all of these stresses if you leave them and let them kind of fester become a manifested issue in the rest of your life and one of the big manifestations of that is fear and and closed-mindedness you become pliable you become open to change when you are grounded um in who you are and not afraid, of, like, it just creates this perspective where you're not afraid of the things around you, right? Um, one other metaphor that we often talk about um, is if you want to actually have impact on something, if you think about, like, I'm in a room, right, and I want to move that table, you can't be, like, spinning around all these different perceptions and fear. You have to be grounded, right? you got to stand in one spot, you walk up to that table, and you go, boof and you push it, right? If you're spinning out of control because you've got all these past issues and all that kind of stuff, you're hobbling on one leg, it's, you're much less effective to actually accomplish the tasks that you want to accomplish. So yeah, again, being grounded, all that kind of stuff. I am not at all afraid to say that I cry often. I cry often in my meditations or I have emotional outlets like, or visceral outlets of negative emotions, because I want to move on from them. I don't want to carry that into the boardroom. I don't want to carry that on my trip out to BC. I don't want to carry that back from BC and project that onto my wife and kids, right? So it's about getting that perspective of, hang on, I am feeling bad because I've gone through some events, and that's okay. <laughs> Can I just have a couple hours to go into a room, be alone, which a lot of people have a lot of difficulty with, they have a lot of fear around, no iPad, you know, no cell phone, and just meditate on what you've been through and maybe release some emotions that you haven't allowed yourself to even recognize, you know? Oh yeah, 100%. And I just, I wanna touch on something that you were saying because I'd asked, I asked a question about discipline and then you talked about these three pillars of mind, body, and spirit that deal with the self that um, you you recognize as ultimately important before you can embark on anything else. Um, so I guess it's a fair statement to say that the discipline is truly to make sure that you carve out you time to take care of those things. And then once you do that, you kind of have the capacity to do endless things. Is that kind of how it works for you? To a certain extent, I would say um, what it does is if you go through periods of your life where, and maybe I'll use the uh, specific example of your body, right? 
if you go through periods of time in your life where you could call yourself a pretty good athlete, like you've taken care of your body, you've pushed it to certain limits and stuff, then you can recognize when you're letting things go. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you can, you can be like, well, you know, I haven't slept much in the last three weeks and I, you know, I've been pushing myself really hard stress wise and all this kind of stuff. But I know that if I sleep well and I start back into exercise more often or whatever it is, then I can get back to where I need to be after this really tough period, right? The same thing happens, I think, emotionally. If, if you can meditate and get really grounded and have like uh, an origin or like um, kind of a reference point for where your emotions are and all that, then I, I see it as like, okay, I'm getting really stressed and I'm not myself and I'm not grounded and all this kind of stuff, but at least you have the knowledge that you can get back there. And that's really, really empowering. Cause I, I wouldn't say that I walk around totally grounded all the time, not at all. Especially last year when I was traveling a hundred days out to BC, I would go there for 12 days at a time, be days at a time, be working all weekend and all that kind of stuff. Then I come back and I'm completely, like my life was just business for two weeks straight. And I'm seeing my wife and I'm like, oh yeah, all of this stuff too, right? <laughs> so at that point in time, you come back and you're like, I need to meditate. I need to get back grounded and do all that stuff. So it's like a flex in a way, but as long as you can recognize how far out you are, um, then I think that's empowering because you know that you can get back if you got that experience. Oh, that's awesome. And I think I was literally just about to ask you, uh, because you brought up 2019 a couple times, would you define that as probably one of the more uh, challenging periods um, throughout your careers? And if it was, then like, how did you get through that to, to find stability again? Okay, so um, I would say the most challenging thing I ever went through was my dad's death, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, after that was running our first company. Um, mm -hmm. because it was such a small company and we were trying to support guys that, as I said, were coming from six figure salaries on a company that only made like 150 grand a year. There were three of us at one, well, four of us at one point in time that were surviving off the earnings of that company. So it was very, very stressful. And I was the one that was managing all the cash flow for that, which was very difficult. Um, the way that I <laughs> dealt with that was buying a, by being a complete control freak about everything within that company. So if there was any unknown, I had to know about it because I had to know that every, everything was maximized to be able to survive through that situation. Um, in terms of my body and myself, like I was useless when it came to, I did not have any relationships at that point in time with like, I would say female relationships. Of course, I still had you know, my business relationships, my friends and my family and all that. But I was not seeking out any romance at that point in time. There was no room for any of that, right? Um, I was running all the time, as I said, like taking care of my body, my mind, and all that stuff. Forget about the partying. If I was going to go party, it would be like once every three weeks or something, and I would go and get totally slaughtered and then like get back at it, right? <laughs> so. There's no, there's no room to focus on much else. And even when I was hanging out with my friends or uh, my family, my mind is just all on that, right? And the other thing that was, I would say, happening at that point in time is I was pretty, uh, because I was in the know so much about what was happening, I was pretty hard on my business partners. You can ask any of them about that. You know, some phone calls where I'm yelling and this and that, like, I seem pretty chill right now, but I can get pretty... <laughs> I'll be handed to. So um, there were definitely heated conversations about how serious things are and how everyone's got to take it seriously because you feel pretty alone when you're the only one that knows as much as you do about the true situation of what's happening. And as my brother would put it, it was like I was tied to the front of the train, right? And there are mm -hmm. passengers in that train. So um, yeah, I think I, I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive behavior, not disorder. And that like, if I start to get into something, I like it more and more. I'll get into it more and more. I'll spend more and more time on it. So in this situation, it was like I had no choice. I had to make this succeed. Otherwise, you know, bankruptcy of all of our, uh, myself and all my partners was on the line. Um, so I, it had to succeed. So I just got deeper and deeper into it and made sure that I was taking care of all those other elements that we just talked about. 
And how long did that um, how long did that period of of kind of supreme control last before you felt like you were okay to kind of uh, you know take the foot off the gas a little bit in that area? It was until we bought our next company. Um, mm. And then that company, as I said, was 20 times the size. So we got a lot more uh, cash flow out of that to be able okay. to pay people. So mm -hmm. that was two and a half years of that. Wow. And, and during that period of time, I lived in my mom's basement for 14 months. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you're bringing all of this up because, you know, and it's that everybody has dreams are fantastic. You know, it's like, it's, it's things got to start somewhere. But there truly is a false narrative when we talk about extreme success. I'm not talking about comfort. I'm not talking about like the everyday person. You know what I mean? Like, and there's nothing wrong that if you seek some of those things, but I think, you know, for the people that I mentor or for the people, you know, that I speak to about this, when they say that they have these like huge lofty goals, but their commitment doesn't match the goal that they're trying to heat, uh, trying to reach. So it's one of those things. I'm happy that you said that because people have to understand that, like, if you want it in the last episode, I said, there's always a cost. The first thing is always time. And that leads into a couple of other things, right? How much, how badly do you want it? How much time are you willing to put into this? And there's only 24 hours a day. So once you start looking at what you have to accomplish in a day, it then boils down to, and you said it best, because you use the word sacrifice. What am I sacrificing to get me closer to the goal that I'm trying to reach? You know, when we talk about like, you know, being like ultimately successful, sometimes it's not about like compromising and sacrificing forever. But I think you do have to come to terms with the fact that there is going to be some element of, of sacrifice. And as long as you're disciplined at going at it, every day with the same intensity, at least from that, it's not going to be an overly extended period of time. So then it becomes an equilibrium where you're able to, to kind of like ease off. But I don't think there's a way to skip past the sacrifice. I just don't think there is. I think also um, an element of it is, is actually taking the leap mm. and not that every, and so all of that, I totally agree with her. That's absolutely it. This, this element though, of taking the leap though, is very important. That's, that's the risk element, right? Mm -hmm. um, again, like hard work, intelligence, and risk, right? Um, there are many entrepreneurs that don't have, like they're picking a route that doesn't have risk. And if it doesn't have risk, you're probably not gonna have that reward, right? You've got to look at a guy like Elon Musk or something like that who doubles down every single time he does something, right? I'll give you an example is uh, one of my, well, I would say one of my mentors is a guy named Mario Zelia. And shout outs to you if you're listening to me. He's going to maybe let me drive his Ferrari on the weekend. Um, anyway, he started up uh, Bad Axe Battle Axe. And uh, he also started a, um, a media company called Majestic Media. That was before Bad Axe Battle Axe, which he took to ESPN and all this kind of stuff, right? So great success. Anyway, I've known him since I was 14, and what he did was he went and did his master's in finance and locked himself in his, himself in his parents' basement and said, I'm not seeing any of my friends until I'm successful at business, <laughs> literally, and his friends didn't see him. He didn't even come to watch a movie or anything like that, right? <laughs> so once he started, like, w turning a profit and figuring out exactly what he wanted to do, then it was, like, a commitment time. He got a... Um, he got a contract with Loblaws. I'm pretty sure it was. So like, I'm talking like a media contract to do all the interactive media for their web. And he went out there and was going to sign the contract. And this was also cowboy that he didn't realize that someone had already registered a business under his brand name. <sighs> and then he was like, Oh crap. And he had to go back to Loblaws and say, I, uh, I didn't realize someone else has that name. I, I've got to uh, call my business this now, right? Now we're Majestic Media. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about, right? But he was really, he was ready and willing to take that leap with such a massive contract, sell into that massive contract, even when he didn't even have a registered brand name, right? And it, I, it sounds sounds unrelated, but like when you commit to Loblaws, you cannot fail, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When we bought our company, 
we could not fail. Mm -hmm. Like if we failed, we would be done. If the, if the word bankrupt was ever attached to my name, I would be done. Right. Like that's, it's like a do or die, burn the boats, burn the bridges, whatever you want to call it scenario where you are on shore, the boats are burning. You must fight your way through in order to survive. And if you don't take that jump at some point in time, because a lot of people will be like, I'll take this little contract there and this little contract there. You're never going to get the reward that you're talking about, Chris, of like huge financial, financial success, right? If you want to get into the tens of millions of revenue and like start building a, co a company that's going to have not just a couple, but tens, if not hundreds of employees, you've got to take the big risks and just give her. Right. And, yeah. and, you, and then when you, when you sign that contract or, you know, the lawyers sign off or whatever is going on, you can't, you cannot yeah. fail. Right. You know, there's a couple things that I'm getting from all of this. Number one is if you want to be successful, first and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, move into your mother's basement, lock yourself in. I'm like, I'm like, man, <laughs> like there's something to that. There's something to that. When we're all done, I'm going to go get my mom a call and be like, mom, I'm moving in. It's called blinders, man. It's called blinders. Like, yeah, no, honestly, it's blinders. And and I was the same way in university, right? Everybody's yeah. got computers. They're playing video games and all that stuff. I I love playing guitar, obviously, all that. And so what I would do is I'd take my guitars and I'd put them down in the basement of the house. Uh, me and my friends would literally take out the video cards and the CPUs of our computers and, like, hide them in different places in the house. Because yeah. you cannot have any other distractions if you want to accomplish your task, right? So... <laughs> No, it's fantastic. And I like the fact that you brought up, you know, you got to you got to take the leap. It's it's one of those things where, you know, it's interesting. It's typically when you're when you're talking about risk. And if you're talking about taking a risk that has, um, you know, the potential of huge financial gain, I guess a lot of the times what you're talking about is stepping into uncharted waters, right? So it's not to say that there's necessarily a playbook of how you go about, like, making it to that. And even with that, even if someone else had a playbook in terms of how they were successful, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. So I guess at some point you got to be invested and then you just got to have the faith that it's going to work out. But like when you commit, you got to commit because the reality is, is that you can think and perfect a plan forever. But if you never start, if you never just execute, I mean, you never get anywhere, right? I think that's essentially what you're saying. Yeah. And in the steps that you take, it's kind of like, Bilbo Baggins, right? The steps yeah. that you take have got to be in a direction that's not nowhere near home, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, you know, accomplish everything, like one, sorry, one thing every day or every week is going to take you further down that path that is pretty much unknown, right? And then at, there are, there is going to be at, at some critical point in time where you're like, you know, I've, I, I've run out of food. Now I've just got to like, make it through this this period of time somehow right mm -hmm. it's like another great saying is you can't jump a chasm in in two steps right yeah you just at some point in time go to back up run at it and just give her right um so i'm going to ask you one more question and then Corey, i'm going to kick it to you for the lightning round if you can uh take over that um but you know we've talked about a lot of things we've talked talked about you know the self and carving out time for the self and how important the mind body and spirit is we talked about faith we talked about commitment we talked about discipline and sacrifice we talked a little bit about um you know friends and family so i i do want to go back to that how or what role uh, do your friends and family play in your overall success Oh, huge, 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 huge. I, I was very, very fortunate to grow up with a, a stable family environment. First of all, I would say, mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up in Scarborough and um, had, had just such a warm and loving family. That's why when, you know, my dad died, it was such a difficult period of time because everybody was going through it, right? My brother, my sister, my mom, everyone dealing with it differently. Um, you know, extended family, I've always been very close with my cousins and um, who are all around my age as well. Um, I've, I've got the same friends that I've had since junior kindergarten. And even when I was in high school, I remember creating org charts of like, I would have this person as a VP and I would have this person as like sales and all this kind of stuff and like creating org charts of where I would put them in, in a thing. Um, and then 
what I would say is when it comes to Rhino stuff, um, some of our investors and, um, you know, I guess some of the people I still obviously keep in contact with, um, we used as advisors at the very beginning. So we would, um, when we were starting out, we would basically run around and try to gather as much information as possible. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I know this is maybe counterintuitive, but I hope people get, get the point is um, from Abraham Lincoln, where he's like, if you give me three hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend the first two hours sharpening the ax kind of thing, right? So we are committed, right? But we're running around, have, like taking all these people to dinner, din uh, people who have done this before, people who have seen it done before, people who are CEOs, who had bought companies, who were successful in business. And there were probably like a dozen people we did that with um, just to pick their brains and kind of gain more um, comprehensive knowledge of what we were heading into, right? Um, it's kind of like, do you know this forest? Do you know that mountain? Because we're going to head up it, right? And that gives you quite a bit of confidence to head into the unknown, right? Um, so I would say tremendously helpful. Also, our investors, um, you know, are some pretty impressive people and inspirational people. Um, and we're lucky that they, that they took a chance on us, right? Um, so, you know, when we go and have our, um, our board meetings, um, you know, especially with the second company we bought or Pina, um, you're sitting around the table with some people that have become really good friends, um, through business and just have such different perspectives than what we have. And when they come around to the table every quarter and we're talking, talking about stuff, it's just like such a cool thing to pick their brain. So, um, Emotionally, I think, again, like my business partners, I would never go off and do a business endeavor without partners. And I just happen to find the right ones that keep us focused on track. Yet we all have such different ways of analyzing problems and kind of coming to solutions on things. So uh, definitely the diversity in our mindsets is, is hugely important. I'm kind of somewhere around the middle and terms of the liberal conservative or whatever you want to call it, risk taking and risk averse. We have a whole, um, you know, big spectrum of that. Um, but it's really good to hear my brother. So risk averse, like, Hey, but what about this and this and this? Right. And then I got Todd on the other side. who's like, dude, we can do that. No problem. Right. And it's like, how do you know? It's like, I don't know. We'll just figure it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, um, you gotta have that whole spectrum. Right. And we all, we all just hash it out in a, in a good way and, and kind of come to our conclusions that way. So that's kind of, that's kind of the comprehensive. And then of course my wife, uh, obviously she's, um, she's very worldly and like I've traveled a lot. I've lived in a lot of different countries and um, she understands what it's like to get up and go out and travel and spend that time in those places and commit to that. And she's super independent as well. Um, and she, she is able to take, you know, the stress that I have sometimes. And she's also got her MBA. So she understands quite a bit about business. And um, that's really helpful because I'm, I'm completely open with her about every aspect of what we're doing. Um, she's like an advisor to me in a lot of ways too. And, that I think is super important just for a marriage relationship because I, I could never be the kind of guy that's like, Oh, I never talked to my wife about business, which a lot of men are and it works for them, but not for me. That doesn't work for me. Well, that's great. All right. I think it's time for the lightning round. Corey, you ready? All right. Uh, my inaugural lightning round. So uh, Darren, again, thank you so much for all of that. I, I think you'll be able to get through these maybe faster than any other guests, Chris. Um, but, uh, without further ado, let's kick it off. So Darren, the number one thing that you do in the morning to set your day up for success. I pick up my baby boy and I watch him smile and goo at me in the face. It's awesome. He's so, <laughs> so cute. That's the way to start it out, buddy. Yeah. Get, gets you going. I'm man. not a big coffee guy. Don't get addicted to caffeine. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, and one word or thing that you would say helped you find the success you have had in both work or life? Meditation. Meditation. Life is not life if you're not blank. Oh, 
life is not life if you're not I would say loving comes to mind like honestly like what is it without love like you know I am so close with some of my employees like so even outside of family and friends like you know you just gotta when we travel and stuff with me and my directors we're just like brothers traveling around and and that is so important to me you know Mm -hmm. that bond so yeah amazing I guess I have to preface this one because we had it kind of mentioned ahead of time here. Uh, Other than caffeine, one habit that you would recommend to drop immediately that would improve lives? Um, That I have? (laughs) (laughs) Just any habit. Any habit. Um, Screens. Stay away from screens. I mean, we don't bring our we don't bring our phones in the bedroom. Uh, we don't have a TV in our living room. Chris knows that. Um, I mean, I I do physically right now, but we we went through a reno. I have no idea where to put it. Um, just stay away from screens. Think for yourself. Stay away from the news and all that kind of stuff. Read a, a an academic, uh, peer reviewed paper on on stuff if you want information. Like, there's just so much fear mongering, especially in 2020. Um, so I would say just stay away from screens. We're giving the media too much power. Fair enough. Uh, Chris, how did you stop the clock? How do we do? Um, that was definitely the fastest round to date. Yeah. My job. Check that one off. Uh, that was awesome. Darren, thank you for all of your time and all of the wisdom. Honestly, every time I talk to you, I'm just like, man, like how were we not so much closer like <laughs> yeah well i didn't know you were into all this stuff too i mean i started to listen to your podcasts and stuff and uh you know then we connected on a different level so uh yeah, yeah. No, i mean like uh, i'm i'm really uh honored that you guys asked me on here and um you know as i said uh you know it's it's definitely been a journey but it's a lot of hard work and uh mm-hmm. you take your lumps along the way so um to anybody else out there who's who's trying to make it somewhere in in some sort of um, direction they define as success, just one every single day you just got to take another step towards that goal, and and that's the discipline right there. Whether it's your body, your mind, your spirit, whatever it is, um, you got to take those steps towards your goal. So. Mm. I can't wrap up better than that. Ladies and gentlemen, here marks the end of the episode.